This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Lessons from the disaster in long-term care by the numbers. A new report points the way to preparing for the second wave of COVID-19. And what makes the perfect kitchen? Architect John Oda has a timely look at iconic kitchens around the world now that the pandemic has us all spending more time there. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Should we reduce the two-meter physical distance rule to one meter? Some countries, including the UK, are doing just that. But a new poll shows that two-thirds of Canadians favor keeping the two-meters measure as we start reopening the economy. The Leger and the Association for Canadian Studies survey also found that if such measures were relaxed, a strong majority would not be comfortable taking part in activities like going to a movie or a restaurant. What's old is new again. The U.S. used clothing market is valued at $28 billion. And despite the COVID-19 pandemic, analysts think it will grow to $64 billion within five years. An estimated 64 million people bought secondhand clothing last year, and the co-founder and CEO of used clothing marketplace ThreatUp says demand is still soaring. And the pandemic has prompted people to clean out their closets and drawers and sell anything that they don't want. Happy. Very happy to be home. Oh, I wouldn't mind a glass of wine. Yeah, that would be nice. That's 103-year-old Rose Weinstock, who says she's happy to be home and is looking forward to a glass of wine. The Thornhill, Ontario centenarian survived COVID-19 and spent her time recovering by reading dozens of books. Hospital staff say almost 20 a day. Rose's father survived the Spanish flu in 1920. It killed 55,000 Canadians. Well, I have to pace myself. I have to, one rather old artificial knee. They know when I've climbed too many stairs. A 90-year-old Scottish grandmother has raised three quarters of a million dollars for the UK's National Health Service and three other charities by climbing the equivalent of 731 metres in her home. Margaret Payne climbed the staircase over the past 73 days as a way to keep busy during the pandemic. She was inspired by military veteran Tom Moore, who completed a 100 laps of his garden just before his 100th birthday to raise millions for the NHS. I'll take the face mask for 200, Alex. 79-year-old Alex Trebek is not letting the pandemic or his cancer battle slow him down. Photos shared online show the beloved Jeopardy! host and his wife 
at a Home Depot in California this week wearing customized hard hats and surgical masks. Alex is apparently into home renovations and still doing all the handiwork himself. The likable host also made news this week with his philanthropy. Just a few months after donating $100,000 to a homeless shelter in North Hollywood, he's written an even bigger check, $500,000, to help build another L.A. homeless shelter. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A new report confirms a shameful statistic. Canada's proportion of COVID-19 deaths in long-term care is double that in other Western countries. But Tracy Johnson of the Canadian Institute for Health Information says the numbers point the way to preparing for a second wave. We wanted to see if there was a similar or dissimilar picture across the OECD countries. So, yes, we were a little surprised to see how high our long-term care deaths were. Were you hoping that maybe um, your study went on a little bit longer than the other one, that maybe things were getting better? Our purpose was to see if the experience was different, if we could see why it might be different. Some of the big things you can see, and one of the more interesting findings, is that when you look at the countries that put in stay-at-home orders, as well as shutting down their economy with economic stimulus, if they put in specific infection precaution measures in long-term care at the same time, they have had less deaths and less infections. So things like broad testing, um, training and auditing, rapid response teams, more staff, Here in Canada, it took quite a while before long-term care workers were were prohibited from working in more than one home. Was that a big factor? It could very well have been a factor. We know that we have less nurses and less personal support workers per 100 seniors in Canadian long-term care than they do in the OECD countries. So that may very well have played a factor in this. What about the fact that in many of these facilities still have four people to a room. That is also, so that's one of the specific mandated measures that a number of OECD countries put in and that we saw some pockets, some things happen like that in pockets across the country. So being able to isolate those who are infected from those who aren't is important. And that was one of the measures that we see that other countries were able to institute sooner. We've been instituting some of these since the the pandemic hit long-term care homes. We've been instituting some of these specific infection control measures. Is there anything else that you think is key as we're headed towards the fall when we may have another wave? This is a start in lessons learned. Uh, this is a start and a look at some of the things that we need to do. And one of the things that we can see in the report is that when standards are, uh, when there's more central control of standards, it would appear that those homes also had less deaths. So there may be something in the discussion that's going on right now about ensuring that we have long-term care national standards. Is there anything that we should learn from the countries that did really well? The countries that did really well Uh, what we heard was that at the same time as instituting their distancing measures, they were also fairly targeted in their long-term care homes with respect to broad testing and infection control and limiting staff movement from one institution to another, and they brought in rapid response teams. We've done a lot of that 
since the pandemic started here in Canada and since the focus on long-term care uh, and the deaths we've seen in long-term care, wave two will tell whether we've done a good enough job to continue to protect those who are in long-term care. The premier was asked about this study and he seemed to be downplaying it saying, how can you compare us with our, you know, 1800 or so deaths to countries that had many, many more deaths by using the percentage that it's, it's not as bad as all that. What it shows is that when we look at deaths in uh, long-term care compared to deaths in the community, most of the deaths in Canada were in long-term care. I think that any information we as a country uh, can garner internationally that help to point us in the right direction around future pandemics and preparedness for it are a good thing. Given what we have already done, is it enough to greet the second wave, in your opinion? I don't, I don't think we know, Libby. I don't think we know. Tracy Johnson, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Libby. That was Tracy Johnson of Kaihai. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. The pandemic has us spending much more time in the kitchen, which is now the center of most homes. It wasn't always like that. Author and architect John Oda toured and cooked in some of the most iconic historical kitchens in search of the perfect one. I talked to him about his book, simply called The Kitchen. My wife and I love to cook and entertain, but we're in a house right now where the kitchen just isn't working for us. It's a little cramped. It's a little awkward. Things are not in the right place, you know, and you could even say that Fran hates our kitchen. So we want to renovate, but I'm obsessive. So I, before I start to redesign, I need to know everything about the kitchen. So I went on a journey to find the perfect kitchen. I went all over North America to explore examples of excellent kitchen designs from throughout history so that I could learn from them so I could incorporate those ideas into our kitchen. So I went to the kitchen of, of Thomas Jefferson and Georgia O'Keeffe and Julia Child and Louis Armstrong and Elvis Presley and many others. And I wanted to find the best aspects of all those designs so that I could put them in our kitchen. And then I cooked in those kitchens and I ate the food too because I had to know if those kitchens really worked. So I had to eat the food. Is there any common thread that you have found from kitchens through the ages? Because you started with the Pilgrim kitchen back in in the 17th century. Well, you know, the common theme was people love to cook. These were all really great kitchens of their times. And what I found was from the Pilgrim kitchen right uh, through to uh, the Victorian kitchen, right through to Julia Child's kitchen, these were all people who loved to cook. So things were out on the counters, uh, books were out, ingredients were out, and you could just tell there was, a, there was a love of cooking in each of these kitchens. And what I found is that we just have it so lucky today. You know, everything's so convenient. We just have to open up a cellophane bag and, and put it in the microwave, and it comes out with perfect beans. In these historical kitchens, people had to work very hard to do their cooking. It was a a hard job from sunrise right to sundown. And when they cooked, what they were doing was they were putting love 
into their food. They were putting love into their cooking because they wanted to please the people that they were cooking for. And um, that was uh, a, a theme all the way through. And, and I find sometimes that we, we've, we've lost a little bit of that love, that we, we lead our lives that are such so go, go, go. And um, I'd like to, one of the things I'd like to do with this book is to try and inspire that love of cooking and putting love back into, uh, into the food when you're cooking and, and spreading that love around to the people you're cooking for. You visited Julia Child's kitchen. Yes, I did. It was really a, a great influence in the way that I see design. When I got there, I was completely shocked. Things were out on the counters. It was very messy looking. That's the first impression is it's very messy looking. There's pots and pans all over the walls and um, uh, canisters of, of spoons and knives. And it's, it's really quite messy. And when I saw it, I thought, oh, my gosh, this looks just like my mother's kitchen. I couldn't believe it. But, you know, the longer I, I was there, I stayed there for three hours. I looked at every little detail. And what I realized is that the kitchen was actually very well organized. In one corner, she has canisters of spoons, and it's the baking area, and she's got the mixer there and, and measuring cups. Over uh, by her stove, she has all her pots and pans hanging within easy reach. Uh, another area where they make, she makes salads, they're all her vinegars and oils are out. So it's actually very well organized. And, um, it, it's, it, what it did was, I'm a minimalist. I'm a modernist. And I like nice, clean, austere surfaces. But what I learned from Julia's kitchen is that not everything has to be put away. Not everything has to look perfect. This is the kitchen of someone who loves to cook. And you can feel that love of cooking when you're uh, at her kitchen. What do you have to say about the journey from the kitchen, you know, being at the bottom of the stairs for the servants to the kitchen now in many renovations? It's right in the center of the house and and there's kind of a a family area built around it, almost that, that replaces a living room. The kitchen is now as you said, the center of the house. And when people come to, the, uh, to our houses now, you know, before you would take them into the oh-so-important living room and they'd sit in couches and they'd see the first edition books and the wonderful watercolors and things like that. Now people come right into the kitchen and the kitchen's the center of the floor plan. That's where uh, the... the the cooking is, there's a pot of coffee on, that's where the kids do their homework, and it's a much more open, uh, naturally lit place, and it's the place that we gather now. So it's a result of changes in, in uh, uh, gender roles. Now, it used to be it was just uh, females who uh, did the cooking, uh, in the kitchen, but after the 1970s, there was a, a, a sort of a more equalization of gender roles. So now, men, women, children, guests, all pitch in for the cooking. There's just a more holistic attitude about uh, cooking and living and life in the house, so that the whole kitchen opens up to the rest of the house. So that even the the materials that we use for the table, it used to we used to sit at a dining room table in a separate room. That uh, eating table uh, quite often is 
sort just natural wood, and that natural use of natural materials spreads out to the rest of the house so that the same materials that are used in the kitchen are the same materials that are used on bookcases and furniture in other parts of the house. So it's really the hub of the house. And, and I think that, that in the future, the kitchen's always going to only become more important to the house. I think the pandemic has uh, re-elevated the kitchen? Oh, my goodness. People are all cooking. And, God, when I look at my, my cell phone, look at Instagram, I, uh, the masterpieces that are on, uh, on display make me want to eat my phone. It's fantastic. So, yes, I think that, that people are more, spending more time in the kitchen through all this. We have more time. So it's, it's, uh, people are cooking for other people. And it's actually a lot of fun to see what people are cooking and, and showing off. It's almost like an art gallery, a virtual art gallery on, on Instagram of what people are cooking and, it, and, and the different ways that they're expressing themselves through their food. It's a lot of fun to see. John Oda, thanks so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was John Oda, author of The Kitchen. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today, and be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.